Hit record. Welcome to the Protectors Podcast. Eric, what's going on, man? I love just hitting record because we end up talking about all the good stuff before we hit record. All right. Eric, you were talking about like the Coast Guard and aerial gunnery. And so what kind of platforms were you using? So, you know, Eric, you, you know, 20 years Coast Guard, 20 plus years? 20 years and seven months. Oh, there we go. Yeah. But we were talking about being on a helicopter and like aerial gunnery. I want to know what kind of platforms you guys are using and like are you, you know, I saw a full metal jacket. I know. I know what's going on here. You got to lead the targets and stuff like that. But what is it really like to be up there and be like, okay, what do we got? What kind of platforms are we using? So we, uh, we were kind of a prototype um, unit for the Coast Guard. When the Coast Guard stood up the, it's called the MSRT, Maritime Security Response Team, started up in 04. And we started as the organic capabilities so we you know used our own assets um usually it was it was all modeled around the h60 um just because of the you know some things a flying dump truck you can pack as many guys as you can fit mm-hmm. in there and, you know you still have plenty of power to spare um so we would do uh basically we train for boarding team cover so we would fly out we, we could put our own boarding teams on on deck and then maintain a, a cover position and cover the guys while they're on deck. So primarily weapons wise, we had the ability to mount an M240 uh, in the door on a, on a hard mount. Um, but for the boarding team cover aspect of it, we ended up using Mark 18s because of just the space constraints. Um, we also had M14s and an EBR stock that I'm the, the story was that it was the, the prototype batch that crane did for NSW that NSW kicked back and we're like, these things are garbage. We don't want them. The coast guard's like, Oh, Hey, we'll take them. <laughs> we'll take them. <laughs> so we use those and we had to keep qualified on those as well, but we, they usually stayed in the, in the closet until, you know, until it came time for the range, the the Mark 18 was kind of our bread and butter. Yeah, it sounds like a. I'd love to get up there and like just shoot. Let's see if I can actually hit anything. It was a good time. Um, we we shot a lot um, on our end of the stuff on the aviation side of the house. All we ever did was train. We never got to do anything operational. So I've got a lot of rounds on paper and in the ocean, but we, you know, we never, we never got deployed on our end of the house. Um, I know the unit has grown as the, the, the water side, the boat guys, um, they're, they're out doing stuff. And I know there's a West coast unit of them out here too now. And, uh, I still know some of the guys that, you know, were, uh, E4, E5, coming up through and now there are master chiefs and senior chiefs, you know, kind of running the show. So it's kind of dates me. It's like, man, we're really getting that old that fast, huh? I still think the coast guard is like one of those hidden services. You know, I, I always tell like my kids, I'm like, you know, you might want to check out like sieges. I mean, if, if someone wants to get a law enforcement or Intel, 
check out like, you know, investigative service. Coast Guard has intel. There, there's all sorts of things that Coast Guard is doing out there. Yeah. That's and the real yeah, world. Especially, you know, I, I went in in 93 and, you know, I went in because I wanted to get a lot of background in law enforcement because that was my my ultimate goal. I was going to do that. Um, you know, originally, I think it's probably the story of most guys, you know, I'm just going to do my four years and, you know, get the experience and then get out. And then 20 years later, you're retiring. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's it's a really good deal because, you know, you you get a lot of responsibility and a lot of experience early on just because it's such a small service. I mean, you know, even with, within the aviation community, you know, you, you know, most people or know of everybody else, you know, it's, there's really like six degrees of separation there. So. Yeah. That's the thing about coast guards. Everybody knows everybody else. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you run yeah. into a coasting and it's like, yeah, I know that guy. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when, especially when you get into aviation and, most guys will stay on one airframe their entire career. And, you know, we only have, I don't know what the, what the current count is. I know there's, there's a lot of other military units. They have more H sixties on their, in their unit than the coast guard has in their entire inventory. (laughs) So, you know, names, names go a long way. And, you know, you always know somebody that knows somebody else. Well, reputations, reputations go a long way too. And that's kind of one of the next topics I want to get into is like the, one of the big reasons I want to talk to you is like, yeah, I love guns, but I had had this idea. You can never have too many like guns, knives and something else, but you can never have too many knives. You can. And, you know, I love you. The, the Kramer customs knives is like knives. You could swear by, but not at, I love that. Cause typically <laughs> you get a piece of crap, $30 knife. It's going to, you're going to swear at it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's one of those things. I, I, I don't know where I came up with that. I think i I think somebody quoted it on a chat forum at some point and I saw it. I'm like, Ooh, that's good. You know? And that's kind of, you know, it's where I've tried to go with, with the stuff that I make. Um, you know, I, I try to make stuff that you can beat the hell out of and, you know, it's going to be there for you. It, you know, everything has its limitations. A knife's a knife's a knife. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make, they're great for cutting stuff. They make really crappy screwdrivers um, or, you know, some other things. But uh, You know, I got to, I, I think about that now. If you told me like 10, 15 years ago, a knife is a knife is a knife. I'm like, ah, you know, I get a decent knife. That's cool. But now as I've collected a lot of guns, I have so many different pistols and rifles and I'm like, they're all different. Right. And, like, and you know, some are the same caliber. So they're doing the same thing. And the same concept goes to knives is like when, you know, I'm not going to knock on like, you know, buck knives or anything else like that, but it's a buck knife, you know, yeah. it's mass produced. But when you start getting into knives and you start seeing a custom knife and you start feeling the difference between that it's like, you know, I grab this really nice 1911 I have compared to this cheap 9mm I have. It's completely different. Right. Yeah, the fit and finish on stuff goes goes a long way. Um, you know, and it's little details like breaking the edges down on, you know, basically the only, the only sharp edge on or sharp point on that knife should be the cutting surface, right? You don't want 
if you're if you have a hard use knife, you don't want something with crazy jimping down the back because it looks cool, but it will it, it it'll grab your thumb to the point where it'll take the skin off your thumb. Mm-hmm. At that point, eh, probably not such a good design. I had that happen to one of my knives. Um, one of the bigger ones that I'd made early on. Um, Master Sergeant Kim Breed that writes for Blade Magazine did a review on it. And I had this really cool looking jimping pattern where I used a, a checkering file. And then every other, every so often I would run a chainsaw file through it. So you had this kind of a, a finer serration with a really big kind of a half circle through it. And at the end of the, the, uh, the evaluation, he's like, the, the only thing that I have to say is get rid of this damn jimping because it will absolutely tear your, tear your thumbs up. And I'm like, no, okay. Noted. You know, I, good to know. So I did. (laughs) Now let's go to the Wayback machine. And when did you first get into like, you know, Hey, you know what? I've carried a knife for a long time. I like knives. Well, let me have a start a hobby. So yeah, 2005 was the first time that I, in that case, put a file to something. Um, I had this old throwing knife that it was in my shed at that point. It was my reloading shop. And so kind of back it up a little bit in 04, once we started, um, started the unit that I was at and we started shooting a lot. Um, it, became less entertaining to go shoot because I'd already done that a whole bunch for work and I already had to clean all those guns. And (laughs) the thought of going out and shooting some more and cleaning my own gun, I was like, "Mm, no. So I started looking for some other hobbies. Um, I got pretty interested in, in gunsmithing. I wanted to start building ARs and Mark 12, uh, uppers, and started specking all that stuff out. And I was looking at like $1,200, you know, to build a, you know, with a PRI parts and, you know, to build a proper Mark 12 and didn't have that. But a lot of these places still, you know, they all sold the, the tactical knives and everything. So I started looking at those and I'd always been a knife guy. I've been carrying a knife since I was, you know, a little kid. And I was like, eh, wonder how, you know, wonder, wonder what it takes to make one of these knives, you know, I'm not going to say a, a brand in particular, but, you know, say a fixed blade with a, a cord wrapped handle. Um, and you're looking at this and I'm like, how hard can this be? So there I go off to the shop <laughs> and 12 hours later I come out and I had a former throwing knife that sort of resembled something else that kind of resembled a knife, but I'm like, okay, this was a lot of fun. I need power tools. Uh, <laughs> so started kind of horse trading around a horse traded into a, an old Sears two by, oh, there's like a two by 32 belt slash disc grinder that used to get for woodworking. Um, traded the guy that owned the gun shop that where I was stationed uh, out of the back of his shop for that and made the first, I don't know, handful of probably five, six knives off of that thing. And, uh, it, it was a, a hell of a teacher. It ran at like half the speed of sound. So when <laughs> you screwed up, it took off a lot of metal really quick. And, you know, I was like, Oh, okay. Well that didn't work. 
Um, and then, the, you know, met a couple of other custom makers in North Carolina where I was at and they would have me to their shop and it became a case of tool envy and, uh, and then the tool collection started and you, know, <laughs> you can see behind me, it's, it's still growing. Um, so it's, you know, when you bring up the tools and everything too, it's like a lot of people think, Hey, they watch like Forge to fire one of the shows and they're like, Oh, I just got to go out there and like, I got to, you know, burn steel down to like a certain level and we're going to hammer it up. And, but it's more machining, I think. I mean, how, what, take well, the process. So what I, what the way I make, I make, I, do, I use stock removal. Um, I don't forge. I've tried it once and it was the most humbling thing I've ever done. I burned my hands and I had a master smith standing behind me going, what are you doing? I'm like, I did what you said. He's like, no, you're screwing it all up. I'm like, this is dumb. I want my, 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 my saw and my grinder back. The guys that can do that, the forge and fire stuff, um, that can forge knives like that are absolutely amazing. Um, and I, it's really cool to see where that shows has gone and the attention that it's given to those guys because it's, it's well-deserved on their part. I mean, when I first started doing the knife shows in like 2009, you know, blade specifically because I was on the East coast and that was a, an easy one to drive to, you know, you would have this whole section full of handmade, you know, hand forged knives and you get them for a song. And it's like, you know, these guys have got hours and hours of sweat equity into these things. And they just didn't get the recognition that, that a lot of them deserved. Um, so, you know, in that case, Forge in Fire and, you know, there's been a couple other blade oriented reality type shows. I think it's done a great service to, to knife makers just to show the public what kind of goes into, into that. Um, I said, I do stock removal. So I, I'll get a sheet of steel, cut on, cut it on a bandsaw. I do my own heat treat or I can do my own heat treat um, and grind to shape, cut to shape and, and kind of go that way. I look at blades as like a work of art though. So yeah, you can take a sheet but it's still, but the end product is an absolute work of art. Yeah, it's 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 pretty cool on that aspect. Of it. I don't consider my myself an artist, um, but you know, I, I don't. Even if I if I make stuff in a batch, so you know, I'll, I'll start four or five knives of the same knife, and I try to make them as as identical as i can especially you know i've, I've got a, a dealer or two that i work with and like the last guy you know he bought three of the same knife i'm like man i've if i'm making if he's going getting three of the same knife i've got to get these things just as dead nuts identical as i can that way you know he's not going well this one's a little different this one's a little different but I, I still have yet to, you know, make two identical knives. I don't know. You know, I'm I'm looking at your your IG Kramer's Kramer with a K, custom knives. This is art, man. I'm looking at the the partisan field knives. I was looking at the um, the Grinch XL. I mean, this to me is a work of art, man. I mean, I I love knives, and it's like the same way I look at like a really fine firearm. I, I there to me it doesn't matter. They're still like almost like a work of art. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just us because we're kind of around the same ages. 
where you, you look at something and you see it and you, you see it at a different eye, a different perspective than something that's, that's kind of mass produced. Yeah. Yeah. So like the, you mentioned the partition, that's my, my new favorite thing that I've made recently. Um, oh, I, love I kinda it. got geeked out on, on some of the more historical designs specifically. That one is based off the Mac V Sog knife from Vietnam. And, um, I'd been wanting to do one for a few years and, you know, I did all the, did as much research as I could. Um, and I still, I still, ha- it's not, the project's not done yet. That, that iteration of it, that's just kind of my take on it. I still want to do some that are traditionally constructed with a, a fitted guard and a stacked leather handle you know, and, and very a more traditional build than than the way the handles are on mine, where they're screwed on, and not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just not it's not done yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that design, um, the the commando dagger that I started doing, that was based off of. Well, it was it, you know heavily inspired by the the Fairbairn Sykes dagger, and yeah, I'm looking at the commando right now. And, um, I've got a, I've got a, a drawer of stuff that that's, that's kind of my inspiration drawer. And there's everything from, um, a replica V42, a replica Fairbairn Sykes, a Gerber Mark one, a Gerber Mark two, <laughs> a couple of old Sogs. And, you know, when it came down to it, you know, this is, this is the blank that came out of that. That's the design. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, the handle's very Fairbairn Sykes ish, but the blade's a little bit shorter. It's thicker, unlike the, you know the Fairbairn and the V forty two, where they're very thin. Um, this one's got a little bit more meat to it, kind of like the old Gerber Mark ones do. Um, definitely a shorter blade um, for for concealability and and use or user in user friendliness, I guess. Um, but I've done a few of those now. I did like the first run. I think I made, I want to say a dozen of those off the first run. And this is the, I've got a, one stack yet that are, that are due to go out to, to some people, but um, I've still got a couple of designs on the back burner. Um, from You know, that. that's one thing, uh, you know, talking about designs and everything, I've seen a lot of like, like knife makers rolling in, not just doing fixed blades anymore, but they're doing foldables. And yeah. I've noticed that you're, you're pushing out foldables now too. That's, that's a really cool concept because I always thought foldables kind of had to be like mass produced, but you don't. Yeah. Um, so the folding knives, I went really deep on the folding knives for a few years. Um, and that's essentially all I was making up until about, I think 2016, I just burned out. Um, I had some other, some other things going on and, you know, I, I come out here and I mean here. So as an example, you know, all this is all hand cut, hand fitted. It's all titanium or, and you know, whatever handle material, this one particularly is Micarta for the handles and then a carbon fiber backspacer. Um, and at that point, I didn't even have a mill. I was using a drill press with a cross slide vise 
to cut my lock channels and every, or along my lock bars. And, um, you know, I, I burned out really hard on that. Uh, so then I kind of stepped back and, and started doing more of the, the, the fixed blades for a while. And, and now it's like, okay, I need, I need to get back to the folders. There was, I spent too much time learning how to do it. And I got a really bad habit where I don't write things down. I just kind of do it. So I've, I've spent the last few months relearning, um, relearning and improving the process a little bit. So hopefully they're going to, I'm, I'm going to shift back to folders for a while. Cause I, ha- I do have a design, um, Oh, these folders are sweet, man. You have got to go to your, your IG page, everybody out there. Uh, Kramer Customs Knives. It's just, I love this, this Type R Charlie folder. And then man, you're killing me over here. So then the, the next the next iteration of the design will be the, the Grinch folder. So get, get on the other oh, side. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's perfect. The Grinch size handle and, you know, I've been carrying this one for, I don't know, I think I made it a, a year and two years ago. So this is the only one. This is the prototype I've been beating the hell out of. And uh, so these are going to be coming out pretty soon. I, I don't know. I've still got to tweak, tweak the design up a little bit. Um, but it's, it's fun getting back into those. You know, you can do a lot more, a lot fancier stuff that I feel like belong on a folder as opposed to some of the fixed blades, uh, fixed blade designs that I have. And you can only dress those up so much and it still is what it is where the folders, you know, you can get into some really crazy materials and just kind of go hog with it. You know, that's, I I've noticed so many veterans get creative, whether that's to, you know, art, whether that's through writing, whether that's through podcasting. And I've seen a lot of veterans get into the the knife space, the working with their hand space, the the creating building thing. That's gonna be some very kind of therapeutic as well. Yeah. It's a lot it of work. But. It, it is. I mean, it's like anything else, I think, especially for me in particular, you know, you start it as a hobby and then you make it a job and then it becomes a job. And, uh, you know, this is one of the things that, you know, I, I, I kind of get wrapped around the axles about things and like the right here and now. And it's like, man, I got to go to work. <laughs> and then, But I've had the opportunity a few times in the last couple of years where it's like, maybe I'm going to go do something else and then go work for somebody else in a shop for somebody. No, this is pretty good. I got this. All right. I love it, brother. Well, I'm I'm excited you came on the show. I'm excited that maybe I'll make the list if I could actually purchase one next time you have a batch come out. Yeah, I'm taking orders now, so I don't um, I don't keep a lot of stuff on hand. Generally, I make stuff to order. Um, I know my website, which is horribly out of date. I apologize to everybody for that, um, but it it says that I'm not taking orders, and the reason I still haven't changed that is I don't want to get completely inundated. I've I've been you know, really deep behind in the books. And, and then it becomes a, a real chore to come out here and like, Oh, I have to make this. Um, I find it, it's just, it's more, it's easier for me to, you know, I'll take an order. Like I, I think I've got orders for 10 folders right now. 
and okay, I can, I can do that. I'll work through this batch. And then once those are cleared, okay, Hey, you know, I'm, I've got another 10 slots open for whatever. Um, and you know, it helps me too, because if, you know, if I, if I wind up 25, 30, whatever orders, I kind of get pigeonholed into, into that one spot where if I, if I keep it short, I can, it gives me time to work on new stuff too. And, you know, like this Grinch folder that needs to be fleshed out and, and get that going too. It give me time to do that. I'm looking forward to it, brother. And we're going to talk as soon as I hit this and record, but appreciate you coming on the show, man. I appreciate you having me. Thank you.